Hi, and welcome back to the Teach for the Heart podcast. I'm your host, Linda Cardenas, and we're here to give you the ideas and inspiration you need to overcome your teaching challenges and make a lasting difference in your students' hearts and lives. Today, we're bringing you a special bonus episode that, at least for now, is only for podcast subscribers. So we're so glad to have you here. And in this episode, I'm going to be sharing eight lessons I've learned so far in my long-term sub position. So these are just a collection of reflections and things I've learned that I thought might be helpful to you as well. So in case you aren't aware, I've been, uh, for the last month or so, teaching two sections of geometry at the Christian school that I used to teach at before I had my kids. And the teacher there um, is having surgery, and so they asked if I could teach two of her classes. And it's been really a fun and exciting to be back in the classroom, although also incredibly energy-draining. So we all know how much uh, energy it takes to teach, but it has been so worth it, and I'm so glad that I've had this opportunity. So, as I said, today I want to share with you um, just eight things that I've learned from this position. I'm about two quarter, uh, two-thirds of the way through. Um, it's hopefully a six-week position. And so here's some things I've learned. Okay, ready? Here we go. Number one, every teacher does things a little bit differently, and that's okay. You don't have to do exactly what the teacher next door does or even, you know, what I recommend on Teach for the Heart or what you find on the internet. You can find and you should find what works for you. And it's okay if it's different than what the teacher next door does. Now, obviously, we're all striving to use best practices, but my point is that, uh, What works for one teacher doesn't work for another, and we need to kind of embrace that and realize that. So when I jumped into this long-term supposition, um, I didn't have a lot of time to really sit down with the teacher I was taking uh, over her class, and I didn't have a lot of time to sit down with her and have her explain in detail how she did everything. So some of the things that she had planned just didn't make a lot of sense to me because I didn't understand all the logistics or how exactly she made it work. And I I wasn't used to doing it that way when I taught. So we tried those things a few times, but when I couldn't really figure it out and couldn't really make it work, I, I switched it um, just for these few weeks while I'm here to something that made sense for me. And my point, once again, is not that my idea was better than hers or her idea was better than mine, but simply that in many cases, there's more than one way to, for example, go over homework or assess students formatively or or whatever it is, right? There's multiple ways to practice problems. So it's okay to find something that works for you, and it's okay if it's different than what the teacher next door does. It's okay if you hear an idea and you think, that does not work for me. Um, obviously, we want to always be open for our new ideas, looking for new ideas, but it's totally good and right to figure out what works for you. Okay, that one's kind of more in theory. Let's get to some more practical ones. Number two, I actually really like the idea of doing test corrections. And I was really um, a little bit hesitant about this idea at first. I've never done at least rarely ever done test corrections. What I mean by that is, uh, obviously, I'm teaching geometry, so this is a very, like, skill-based subject, math. So uh, the teacher said that when she was teaching, you know, she let them do test corrections and earn a percentage of their points back. 
And she said, I told them that, you know, they're probably not going to be able to do that because it takes a lot of time, you know, but basically I'm leaving it up to you if you want to do that or not. And at first I just thought, oh man, like kind of philosophically, I didn't agree with it. I haven't in the past. I've thought, you know, a test grade is how students perform on the test, right? Like, shouldn't it just be based on their performance? And then my also, my other thought was, you know, how do I know, like they're, when they're at home doing test corrections, they have the internet available to them. They could ask their friends. Like, how do I know that what they are turning into me is truly means that they know what they're doing? Um, but the teacher provided a form that she used and I was able to adapt. And I really actually ended up liking how this turned out. The form was super simple. Basically, what students had to do was they had to list the problem that they missed. But then they didn't just work it correctly. They had to explain what they did wrong, and how to do it correctly. And I just told them, basically, it's your job to prove to me um, on this paper that you know how to do the problem correctly. So, you know, if it was just a simple mistake, it might be a very simple explanation, and then you rework the problem correctly. But if you left a problem blank because you were lost, uh, you can't just say, I didn't know how to do the problem, and then here's the work. Because once again, you could have just gotten that from, you know, the internet. Uh, So you had to really explain, you know, how do you work this problem and and write out the steps or, you know, do whatever you need to to make it clear to me that you understand this problem. And so it was really interesting as I was going over the test corrections, I I felt like it really was fair. That was my bottom line question. Is this a fair process? Is the grade going to be accurate? But I felt like as students turned these in, um, sometimes they still missed the problem or they just really didn't have much explanation. I just didn't give them the points back. Uh, But when they did really give a good explanation, work the problem correctly, I could tell they understood how to do it or what they did wrong, um, giving them back a percentage of the points felt fair and right. And it was really a way for students to redeem themselves, take away a little bit of that test anxiety. And once again, the goal is for the students to learn, right? That's the ultimate goal. Um, So if that's happening, that's a good thing. And it felt really fair. And the way the teacher had it set up is um, the honors section could uh, could earn a fourth of their points back, you know, so uh, up to a fourth of them. And the um, the regular section could earn up to half the points back. So I guess my point is you can find a percentage that makes sense for you. But I, I was surprised how much I did. I felt that the test corrections were a fair and accurate assessment. And I think it did. It did really work out well. So if you've never done that, you might want to try that. And once... And also kind of just if a student chose not to do them, then it was really also eliminated. Like there's not you can't complain about your grade then. You know, you didn't even try the test corrections. So uh, I think it really did make sense. So number one, every teacher does things a little differently. Number two, test corrections are smart. Number three, the website Kahoot.com is amazing. Okay, it's K-A-H-O-O-T, Kahoot. And it is a review, a, a way to do an engaging review game. Now, it does require every student to have a device. So at the school I'm subbing at, uh, it, it is a one-to-one. Everyone has a Chromebook. Uh, but if your students are allowed to have cell phones, that would work too. Or if you have most of your class has devices, but not all, then you could have people team up and be on a team uh, with someone that does have a device. But basically, the way it works, is that you set up a review quiz or this is fantastic too. You can set up your own questions or you can find, you can just type in a topic and it'll pull all the um, quizzes that others have made and you can just use someone else's quiz. 
or this is even better. I've done this a couple times. You can duplicate someone else's quiz and edit it. You know, so if you're like, this looks pretty good, but I, I don't want these three questions, you can duplicate it and then adjust it as, as, as much as you want. So it's pretty easy to set up a review. And then what happens is when you do it in class, the review problem, you connect your, you do need to be able to connect your computer or your device to a screen. And then it shows the problem on the screen and the students respond on their devices and it does it all in real time, um, very quickly and it actually uh, awards points based on whether the student got it right and then uh, who answered the fastest correctly. So students are trying to answer quickly, but also correctly. It's phenomenal for terms, but it also works for simple math problems as well. So students love it. It gets great engagement. And uh, it's also, it's it's like a real review. You're not wasting time. It doesn't waste time. And it's a great way to review, um, whether a larger review or just a smaller review. So Kahoot.com, uh, definitely recommend checking that out. Fourth thing I've learned, <laughs> this is not necessarily new, but definitely reinforced to me, is that engaging activities beat lecturing. Um, obviously, there are times when uh, you, direct instruction is necessary, especially in math. You know, you have to actually teach students how to do the problems. I've, I know I've had, I've had people that are, they tell me, you know, my teacher does not explain how to do the problems. She just works one or two and then expects us to know what to do. And that is a disaster. So I'm not minimizing direct instruction. But I have found in this experience, when I'm doing notes, math notes, lecturing and doing the notes with the students, their engagement level is is low, much lower than when we're doing an engaging activity. And um, also, I'm way more exhausted, you know, trying to give teach the whole time than when the students are really engaged in an activity where they're actively learning. And so um, someone said one time, the one that is working is the one who is learning. And I think that's so true. So um, while we definitely do, uh, the, the structure we've been using is a day of notes and then a day of an activity. And I have been finding myself not looking forward to the days where I'm lecturing and giving notes, and the students aren't really either, but we've both been really looking forward to those activity days. And um, when I say activity, um, there's a lot of different things you can do, but I'll just share a couple that I've tried um, that have gone um, pretty well. One is, well, we've done some Kahoot reviews. Um, we've also done, um, what one is called reciprocal learning. So you can do this with basically any worksheet. And what you do is you give the answer key, preferably with worked out problems. Give half of the answers to one student and half to the other, and they work in pairs. So picture two students, one has the uh, half the answer, say the answer to the odds. The other has the answer to the evens. And what they do is they take turns coaching each other. So for every other problem, one person is working the problem, the other is the coach, and then they switch. And so it really helps them work together, and it helps them to also like understand it more deeply as they're instructing each other and helping each other. Another activity we've done is um, just simple. Um, we have, you know, I found some puzzles or d just different activities um, that we've done. But one thing that I found that really helps in these activities, actually two things. Uh, we did an activity the other day and it was like amazing engagement. And I think there were two keys to it. Uh, number one was that 
I assigned the groups. And the way, I, and I really think that helps because I think when you pick your friends, you tend to be more distracted. Whereas when you're working with just kind of random classmates, that doesn't happen quite as much. So the way I assigned groups actually is I just got index cards and um, I did something, I just wrote terms on there. And they had to find the person with the same card as them. So it was kind of random. It didn't feel like I'm just assigning groups randomly. It felt like part of the game. And so they didn't get any complaining that I, they that they didn't get to pick their own group. And it really did work so much better with them being with a random classmate as opposed to their, you know, best friends. Uh, the second thing that I think was really helpful was I assigned problems to each person. So when I gave all those note cards, um, it had a term on them, um, and then it also had a number. So it would be, for example, um, postulate one, postulate two, and postulate three. So they had to find the other people with the same name, postulate, and then they had a number. And so each number corresponded to specific tasks that that person was supposed to do. So the activity that we were doing um, actually was basically it took a worksheet and then the answers to the worksheet solved a puzzle. So I assigned different problems to different students. So instead of saying, everyone work on the worksheet together, I said, this student do, you know, these five numbers, number one, number six, number eight, number 10, whatever it was. This student, student number two, do these problems. Student number three, do these. And so because they each had a responsibility, they were way more realizing like, okay, I can't just sit here and let the rest of the group do it. I have to do my problems. And it worked phenomenally well. And then there was also a little element of a contest. They were trying to solve the puzzle first. So anyhow, engaging activities beat lecturing. I would love to come back. I'm, I'm hoping to put together um, a list of some ways that you can take worksheets and put them into make them more engaging activities. So if I, if I hope, hoping to do that in the future and bring that back to you guys at some point. All right, number five, I really liked flipping my class. But there was one issue. Uh, students really need to understand the importance of watching the videos. So um, flipping your class, if you're not familiar, we've talked about it on the podcast before, is um, when instead of lecturing in class and sending home homework at night, you do you send home a video lecture for students to watch and take notes on. And then during class, you do the activity. And the reason I really like doing this was ties into what I said last time. Engaging activities beat lecturing. Um, it's better. The students are much more engaged. A much better use of your class time if you can do something engaging, um, if the students are practicing while you're there to help them or to get help from classmates, uh, rather than having to, you know, I'm finding like a lot of students don't do the homework and then they, they haven't practiced this at all. So I really did like flipping my class. And if I had more videos, I would be trying it out way more. But the one problem I've run into, and this is my fault, is I feel like this I didn't do a good enough job impressing on the students the importance of watching the videos. So I found that a percentage of the students didn't watch the video, didn't fill out the notes, and they just like they don't do their homework, they just didn't watch the video. And uh, I think part of the part of the problem is some students just aren't used to doing homework. But I think I could have done a better job if I would have really um, taken the time to explain to them the importance of watching the video. And also, though, I think this can also have an accumulative effect, meaning um, we've only done this a couple times because I don't have a lot of videos for these topics and I don't have a lot of opportunity as a sub to make them. Um, but... 
if if we were to do this regularly, if we were to flip, flip class every class or, or once a week or, you know, every other week, if we were to do it more often, I think as we talked about it and as we worked on it, I think students would realize more and more the importance. Because when students came in the next day without it, I think they did feel immediately like, wow, I'm kind of lost. I don't know what I'm doing. And I do think that that logical consequence would have, um, you know, prompted them to watch to watch the video more the next time if we focused on that as a class. So I guess that's my my caveat is if I do more flipping in the future, I really want to spend time um, talking with the students about why we're doing it, what is the importance of watching the video, what happens if you don't watch the video, and, um, and, and all of that, and have a better plan for how to deal with that aspect of it. But I really did love flipping, and I'm excited, I hope, at some point to explore that more in the future. And we did use a few of our math light videos um, for pre-algebra and algebra one. A few of those corresponded with my topics and I uh, even had my dad make a geometry video, which was fun. So uh, if you want to check out some of those videos, there's lots of them available for free. They're at mymathlight.com. Okay, so I did like flipping my class. Uh, number six, okay, this one's really simple. I am loving the phrase, as long as it doesn't cause a problem. I ran across this phrase in research for our brand new classroom management course, which is coming up soon, um, Advanced Classroom Management Techniques. So I will be sharing more about that soon, but I ran across this in the book Teaching with Love and Logic, and I'm really enjoying using it. So the phrase is, as long as it doesn't cause a problem. So in many cases, students will ask to do something or you simply want to let them do something. Um, but saying, as long as it doesn't cause a problem, really does kind of set um, set some parameters and uh, without you having to you know list all these things. So for example... Um, I might say, feel free to work with a neighbor on this worksheet as long as it doesn't cause a problem. Or someone asks if they can move seats so they can see better, and I say, as long as it doesn't cause a problem, right? Or or, or whatever the case is. Um, so using that phrase, as long as it doesn't cause a problem, really just kind of puts a little bit of ownership on the student to realize, um, okay, you know, I, I can do this. They've given me permission, but I need to um, self-relegate self-regulate rather, and make sure that I'm not causing a problem. And it's so all-encompassing, right? Sometimes we as teachers try to make a list of like all the things you can and can't do. And that just never works out that well, right? We're always going to be missing something. So simply saying, as long as it doesn't cause a problem, is all-encompassing. And like I said, it's not annoying. And it um, puts ownership on the student. So I'm really enjoying that kind of catch-all phrase. All right, two more things that I've learned. Number seven is that procedures matter and teaching and practicing procedures matter. Now a confession. I have not focused on procedures very much during my subbing position. And I've done that strategically. Um but also I guess there's a slight element of laziness, but it's mostly strategic. So if I'm being honest, um but honestly I do think it is mostly strategic and here's why. You know that investing time into establishing procedures, getting students used to procedures, sorry about that. Um is it takes a lot of time to do that. And so when you're going to be teaching for an entire year, it is well worth the time invested. But my thought was I'm only here for 6 weeks. 
I had, it's so, you know, and six weeks in an elementary classroom would be an eternity, but six weeks in a, you know, I only see each, each group for 40 minutes a day. So it's really not that much time. And so I didn't want to invest, you know, days into teaching procedures um, when I'm only going to be here for six weeks. And then the teachers, I'm not even teaching the normal teachers procedures. I'm just teaching my procedures. And so it would just, I felt like it wasn't worth it to try to establish my own procedures too much. I, I do have procedures. I've taught them a little bit, but we haven't really practiced and nailed them down. And so here's the thing. It has been fine because I'm only here for four to six weeks. I'm in week five right now. And it's just funny because it's just like slowly, slowly, slowly um, causing a little bit more chaos and just like it gets getting more and more annoying um, that these things aren't established. And so my point is that it's just reminding to me how much procedures do matter, how much it is worth it to spend time on them. If you're going to be with your class for the whole year or for a whole semester uh, for a long time, it really is worth it to invest that time in the procedures because I really do think over time is where you see the benefits of having established them and practiced them. And also where you see the drawbacks of having not. Things just tend to digress over time if you don't focus on them. So I was just reminded um, and just seconded the fact that teaching procedures is worth it and it really does matter. And if and when I'm teaching, uh, you know, in a regular class again, definitely has to be a focus and a priority. And along that same line, number eight, um, start of class activities are so important. This is another thing I purposefully elect, well, half purposefully, half out of necessity, uh, elected not to do. I've tried to come up with a few different things and they keep not working. Uh, so I haven't been having a regular start of class activity um, for these classes. And it's been okay because it's just a temporary situation. But this would not be a good scenario if I was there the whole year. And it's honestly not the best scenario, even though I'm only there for six weeks. Um, the start of class is then is by nature more chaotic than I would like and then and that is good and also um, it's especially chaotic um, on a day like today where I was we were doing notes so I was lecturing and people had been absent the day before and a lot of people were trying to ask me questions so everyone's coming up to me trying to ask me questions and I cannot answer them because the whole class is just waiting for me to start they have nothing to do um, so I can't really answer people's questions or I'm trying to answer them real quick well, I'm also trying to start class. It's just it's just chaotic. So I feel like in these last few weeks, I've been reminded this once again, start of class activities are really valuable. Um, if, even if you don't do them every single day, having it, the students be in the habit of coming in, looking at the board and seeing either, you know, this this activity or something like prepare for a quiz or prepare for notes, uh, but just getting used to coming in, looking at the board, seeing what to do and getting started right away. Definitely super valuable. Definitely something that has to be figured out um, if, if and when um, back in a long-term teaching position. So I hope these ideas have been helpful to you, um, got you thinking a little bit. Um, if some of these uh, made sense to you, I hope that you will just think them through. For example, if you thought, man, I don't have a start of class activity. Maybe that's why my start of class is so chaotic. Hope that you can you know, think that through and find something that works for you. I do recommend for a start of class activity, something that students can do with very little instruction or help from you. In fact, no instruction from you is ideal. Um, so something simple um, that they, uh, and something 
uh, predictable, that they know what to do and can do regularly. And if you happen to teach middle school math, uh, we do have um, some of these activities. Um, we have uh, bell ringers that are fantastic for middle school math and for Algebra 1. Um, you can find those actually in our Teachers Pay Teachers store. So um, search for Teach for the Heart on Teachers Pay Teachers and you can find them there. We have a free set as well as a full set. Okay, that's all I have for now. I'm really looking forward to coming back and sharing more and maybe going into more details on these and other strategies and things that I've learned in this position. But um, thank you guys so much uh, for listening to the podcast. It really is a pleasure. Thanks for being patient as we took this brief hiatus. I'm going to be probably a... Uh, I don't know how many episodes we're going to have over the next couple weeks, but we'll be back with regular episodes here before too long. So thank you guys so much for understanding and for listening today. We really appreciate you and looking forward to speaking with you again soon. In the meantime, keep growing, keep striving. You really are making a difference.